And I want those of us remaining, I'd like you to take out your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. And then we're, like we have over the last few weeks, we're going to move around a little bit uh, in Scripture. And I want to share with you this last message today on a love like no other. That it must be a love that's committed. Uh, and it, the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 24, the very last verse of the chapter. Paul writes and he says, Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. With an undying love. What does it really mean to be committed? Well, you know, in, in a lot of cases today, we understand through the, the state of how relationships tend to work and even the marriage relationship is one of those relationships, especially in this nation, where if you get tired of somebody, if you... You know, you, you don't see eye to eye. You can very easily end the commitment that you made to that person at an altar. Even in a relationship, maybe you have promised to, uh, you have gotten engaged. Maybe you have been down that road before and somebody has promised that they are going to marry you only to find that a little later on they something happened to where their commitment is no longer what it used to be. We live in a time and in an age where commitment is not one of those things that is talked about that much. Now, they talk about it in sports. Athletes understand, at least to some extent, the idea of commitment. You know that when you walk into a job, you are, at least for a time being, committed to that job and that employer is committed to you. But you also know that it doesn't take very much for them to end their commitment to you. It doesn't take very much for you to end your commitment to them. We look around us, we understand that probably less about commitment than we used to many, many years ago. And you forgive me, you know I'm a sports fan, so that's kind of where I, I go in my direction, but... You know, you think about even some of these, the amateur athletes who are committed to, to bettering themselves and being better than what they are. You look at the Olympics, and I know the Olympics now has become diluted by all kinds of professional athletes, not the way it used to be, but that's the way it is. But for the really dedicated ones who get up early, early in the morning and they're awake before the sun rises and they are working out and they're training at whatever particular sport they are involved in, whatever game they're involved in, and they work at it and they work at it and they work at it, there is that within them that drives them and moves them to commit to doing that so that they can be the very best that they possibly can be in that particular sport and in that arena. We see it a little bit in our society. But if, if we look around us. And we're really, really honest with ourselves. We will find that there is very little that we commit to on a daily basis. Maybe it is a friend calls. Hey, how about having a cup of coffee? 
Maybe around 10 o'clock, what do you think? Let's meet. I don't know about 10 o'clock. I'll try to make it. Right there and then, you don't necessarily commit. You don't say, yes, I'll be there. So many areas of life we see this, and yet we understand that biblical love, love that we find in Scripture is a love that's committed. And it's a love that's committed in the face of anything. And over the last few weeks, we have talked about it, especially in the last message where we talked about a love that's challenged. Your love for the Lord, your love for one another, your love for your spouse, your family member, a neighbor, somebody, it's going to be challenged. It's going to be tested. And the question is, are we going to allow ourselves to commit to the kind of love that the Bible tells us that we have to have? Now, I recognize it's, it's easy, and Jesus said this, on one particular occasion, he said this to uh, his disciples as he was preaching that Sermon on the Mount, and he let them know that, you know, even, even the world loves those that love them back. It's easy to love somebody who's loving you back, right? It's easy. Somebody comes up along, by, I love you, brother. Oh, I love you too, brother. It's like a love fest, you know? You just, yes. But we know that in that point, Jesus is trying to let them know that not only are you supposed to love those who are loving you, you are supposed to love your enemies. And that's a tall order. You see, the kind of love that we have to have is a love that we understand was modeled by Jesus Christ. And by Him and Him alone, and it was an un dying love. It was a love that didn't quit. A love that did not give up. It was a love that drove him to go to the cross for you and for me. That, brothers and sisters, is a love that's committed. I want to look today and, and just I want to ask you this. What does it really mean to have a love that's committed? And I want to look at three different areas. There are certainly more and I'm not I'm not getting into all of those, but I want to just touch on three areas today. That a love that's committed, first of all, shows determination. A love that's committed, first of all, shows determination. Turn over to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, sandwiched right between Judges and 1 Samuel. The Bible gives us one of the great examples, in fact, some of the words that Ruth speaks are spoken uh, to her mother-in-law. In fact, all of these words, this discourse, this little conversation that she has was spoken to her mother-in-law. And yet they are so beautiful and so wonderful. These words are often used in weddings. They're often used in times where somebody is committing to somebody else in marriage. And, and these words are so wonderful and so beautiful. And yet Ruth stands as an example of a love that is determined. And brothers and sisters, I believe with all my heart that a love that's committed is absolutely determined. Let's take a look at it. Ruth chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. Uh, by the time you get to this, chap this verse of Scripture uh, in, in Ruth chapter 1, 
Her father-in-law has died, her brother-in-law has died, and her husband has died. It was such a terrible time in the history of Israel, and Ruth was a Moabite. She was not from the house of Israel. She was from outside of the household of Israel, and yet she had married an Israelite, and they had fled the, the land of Judah because of a famine. And as they had gone away, the, it was so bad that, that her father-in-law, her brother-in-law, and her own husband took ill, and they all three of them died. And now she is left with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and her sister-in-law, Orpah. And the Bible says this, and now Naomi is trying to get these young women to go back to their homeland, to go back to the place where they came from so that they could find love again, they could marry again, they could, they could have a life together. The Bible says this, verse 14, At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Verse 18, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. A love that's committed. Now, there was something in this relationship of this mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. There was a bond that was now there that was so powerful and so strong that Ruth said, listen, I've forsaken the gods that I worshipped and your God is going to be my God. And I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you in whatever comes down the path in life. I am absolutely determined. The Bible says when, when Naomi saw that she was determined, she said, okay, fine. You come with me. We'll go back to our land. And they headed back into the land of Judah. One of the greatest love stories in the Old Testament begins to unfold between Ruth and Boaz as they go into this homeland and then give birth to the grandfather of David. Now she is part of the whole Davidic line and the whole Messianic line. Why? Because she found a love that was so important to her that she committed her all to it and determined there is going to be nothing that is going to get in the way of this kind of love. It is a love, a love that's committed shows determination in the face of inconvenience. Like you'd turn now, if you would, right back over to the book of Luke. Go over to the New Testament, to the book of Luke. And I'm not going to take time to read it today, but I want you to just be able to lay eyes on it and just know where it's found. We have been there before in this series, and I just want to end up in this uh, chapter, Luke chapter 10. And I want us to take a look at how love is determined, love that's committed is determined in the face of inconvenience. That when things are, are not easy, it stays in that situation. And it sees things through to the end. 
Now, the Bible says this. Let's just jump down to verse 33. We'll pick up with the Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. That was the man who was laying on the side of the road, on the road to Jericho, left for dead, beaten and robbed. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. But uh, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. We learn a very important lesson here. We don't know which way the Samaritan was going. We don't know what he was supposed to be doing. In this particular parable that Jesus tells us, he doesn't give us all the details. But what we do see is we see a man so absolutely committed to loving in the way that God wants us to love that he was willing not just to reach down and somehow put a few band-aids on the guy and then leave him right there on the side of the road. But no, instead, he picks him up, he puts him on his donkey, and he takes him to the nearest place where he can find lodging and put the man in bed, minister to his wounds, give him what he needs, and then he says to the innkeeper, here's some money, whatever extra expense, I want you to take this for that extra expense, and when I return, anything else, I'm going to reimburse you. You want to talk about going the extra mile? Listen, we don't know that it was a convenient trip for this guy. We don't know where he was going. We don't know what he was about to do, what was on his mind, what the plans were. But when the plans changed, love took over. The determination to love in the face of inconvenience, it took over in this man's life. And he ministered to this poor man who was dying on the road, on the wayside there, in, on the way to Jericho. And he took him, and the Bible says he poured in the oil and the wine to minister to the wounds of that man. There are so many people, brothers and sisters, who are full of wounds, not physically, but spiritually and emotionally, where we live and where we live, work and where we, on an everyday basis. And so often we look at those individuals and somehow we think, that they're just annoying to us, that they're just bothersome, that, you know, how can we even begin to meet the need that's there? But you know what? This man took it one step at a time, and then he realized, you know what? I can take it a little step further now. I can go a step further. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And the Bible lets us know that he saw it all the way through to the end. You see, a love that's committed is determined to see it through to the end in the face of inconvenience. It might not be convenient for you to love and minister to somebody who's hurting. You say, well, I really got to rush. I really got to go. I really don't have time. But I, I, I want to ask you this. When Jesus looked down and he saw you in the mess of sin that you were in, when he saw where you were and you were wounded and you were without hope, when he saw that you were sinful, 
that you had no way out of your sin, out of your addiction, out of your trouble, out of whatever it was that you were faced with. He didn't say from heaven, I'm not sure that I have time to meet their needs. I'm not sure that I have time to rescue them. But instead, He came and He was the supreme sacrifice so that you could go free. That is love that's committed. Not only that, but love that's committed shows determination in the face of personal sacrifice. I'm not going to take time to read it, but the Bible lets us know that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, He was going through such anguish of what it was that He was about to face. You see, we don't really fully comprehend this. We don't fully understand what was going through His heart and His mind in this because we don't understand what it means to really be fully God and be fully man at the same time. We don't understand that. We don't know how it feels to not only have the idea and the understanding you're going to face a painful, excruciating kind of death called crucifixion, but at the same time as being fully God as Jesus was as at that time on earth, fully God, fully man at the same time, We don't know the great struggle that he felt when the Bible lets us know that he was going to have the sin of the world heaped upon him. Paul writes to the Corinthian church and lets us know this this important, very important verse of Scripture that lets us know that he became sin for us. He became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. We don't know what was going on in his heart and in his mind on that particular occasion. All we know is we see and we read about a few things, but we understand the struggle at least to a point where he's praying and saying, Lord, Father, if if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The Bible says he was in such anguish, Luke records for us the fact that when Jesus was praying, he sweat, as it were, drops of blood coming just out of his pores as he's sweating, as he's praying, as he's in such anguish of what it is that he is about to face on, 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 on the cross and, and when he was going to be taken and beaten and bruised and all of those things, physical pain, But beyond the physical pain, what was going to happen to him when the whole weight of the sin of the world would fall upon somebody who was absolutely sinless? You and I don't really fully comprehend that. At least I know I don't. My theological mind can't quite get around that. But I know this. I know that he did it in the face of this great personal sacrifice. He was determined to be committed to the love that he had for you and me. Brothers and sisters, the Bible says, in the while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us that much. He loved you that much. He loved the world that much that he said, I'm going to the cross regardless of the personal sacrifice that I have to make. You see, a love that's committed is a love that's determined to see it through to the very end and to see the end of that love rewarded. What was the great reward? Well, the great reward was to see you and I come to a place of repentance. Oh, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, who for the joy set before him 
endured the cross. What in the world could the joy, what, what kind of joy could there be with Jesus and all of the cross, that, everything that the cross entailed? What kind of joy could there possibly be being faced with that kind of a scenario? The joy is this, that down through centuries of time, he would see one day when Lynette would come to an altar of prayer and give her heart to Christ. He would see Candace one day weeping before the Lord, giving her heart to Jesus. He would see Tony coming back to the Lord and giving his heart to Jesus. He would see you and I down through centuries of time. That's the joy that he saw, brothers and sisters. And that's the kind of love that is determined to see it through to the end. Love that's committed not only shows determination, but a love that's committed refuses distraction. Love that's committed refuses distraction. I remember watching the Winter Olympics, the last Winter Olympics with my wife, and we were watching, I don't know, it was this cross-country skiing. It was like this, I don't know, remember what, what it was, but these guys were on skis. I think they had to do something else. They had to, like, get down on the, you know, and shoot a target, and then they had to get up, and as fast as they could, they go, I, I'm not a big cross-country ski fan, but nonetheless, it was fascinating to see what these guys were doing. But both of us, at the same time, reacted. Actually, I think she watched the very end of it, and then I, I rewound it and, and saw it a little bit later on. She said, I, I can't believe this guy. He had such a lead. He was so far in the lead, he had the gold medal wrapped up. And as he got down toward the end, all of a sudden, he started looking back. It drives me nuts. When I see these sprinters, you know, in the Olympics, it drives me crazy. I, I, I wasn't a runner, but I knew enough to, you know, about it to know you don't look back. Amen? You don't look back big dummies this guy's going and he's going with the skis and and he's looking back the whole time the whole time he's looking back he's losing steam you know why he's not keeping his eyes fixed on the goal he's becoming distracted by what's around him and what's behind him and all of a sudden the only thing that this other guy can see is the guy ahead of him that he wants to catch, and he can see the finish line, and he can see the gold medal, and guess what? The guy who was behind overtook him and won the gold medal. Why? Because he got distracted. The guy in the league got distracted by what was coming behind. Rather than keeping his eyes on what his eyes should have been on, he allowed himself to get distracted. More races have been lost because runners or whoever they might be, they look around them and they get distracted by what's going on behind them rather than keeping their eyes fixed and focused. And brothers and sisters, if there is anything that we have to learn from all of this is that we cannot allow ourselves to be distracted by the world or anything the world has to offer. Look, the world has to offer nothing but junk for you. And I don't know if you're interested in having junk. I'm not. I want what's real. I want what's true. I want what's right before the Lord. And you know what? So often we get distracted by the things of the world and the things of the flesh and the pride of life and all of those things that somehow pull at us. And the Bible, this is why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, 
The author and the finisher of our faith. You're looking at anything else, you're looking at the wrong stuff. Turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Let's just take a look at what God told the people of Israel through the prophet Moses. The Bible says this, Deuteronomy chapter 5 in the Old Testament. The Bible says, Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 32. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Notice that. Now, one thing we have to remember, we've already dealt with a number of scriptures, and I'll read them again a little bit later on in my next point, but what, what we have to remember about being obedient and, and obeying the commands of the Lord is that it is closely related and tied to the idea of loving Him. And here the Bible lets us know, and He says, be careful, be careful to do all or do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Let's take it out of the sports world for a minute. Marriages have failed because somebody looked the wrong way and kept on looking, kept on thinking. All of a sudden, things could be different than what they are. Maybe things could be a little bit better than what they, they are now, and yet somehow we forget the vow that we made a long time ago at the altar when you vowed to love that person and be committed to that individual for better or for worse, no matter what happens. No matter what the difficulty is. And yet we begin to see people and, and it's, it happens all over the place. Somebody gets distracted by somebody else. A spouse all of a sudden allows himself or herself to get distracted by a co-worker. By a friend, by a neighbor, by somebody else around them that they met. And all of a sudden somewhere along the way they find that you know what? Not satisfied with the wife anymore. Not satisfied with the husband anymore. I got to go down this road. Brothers and sisters, do not allow yourself any kind of indulgence. That is what the world says you can do. But you know what? Where has the world been able to fix the problem of sin? It hasn't. The only one who can do it is Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes, and if you're married, keep your eyes on your wife, on your husband. If you're in a relationship, don't be looking around thinking somehow, well, maybe it could be better over there. No, 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 no. You got the best. That's why you married that person. Think about it. Remember. Take a, take a good long look once again and remember what, what it was that brought you to the altar in the first place. And remember that that, you see, the, and the more I dwell on this, this whole series, that have dwelt on this whole series and these messages that, that have come out of my heart is just this, this whole concept of the fact that love has nothing to do with words or little to do with words. It has everything to do with action. You look in 1 Corinthians 13 and you read through 1 Corinthians 13. Love is not rude. Love does not behave in a manner that is, you know, and it's all about what it is that you're doing and where you're focused and where your heart is. Don't allow yourself to look to the right or to the left. Don't get distracted because you're going to lose 
and you're going to be on the losing end. I want you to listen to this. In fact, why don't we just turn over there as well. Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49 and verse 15. Because I want you to see the kind of commitment that God has to you and I. God had to the people of Israel and He spoke these words through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 49. God never allows distraction to be a problem with Him. He is the supreme example. He cannot be distracted by anything else. The Bible says that God is love. And here the prophet writes, Isaiah 49 and verse 15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Now notice this. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. You see, another area of distraction is the idea of just forgetting. How many times in the Old Testament do we see the people of Israel and it says about them, and they forgot the Lord, and they forgot God? Well, in, in many ways, it's not being, you know, absent-minded. They weren't absent-minded about it. It's just they ignored the Lord. They forgot about all the things that, that he did. And, and this happens to us on occasion as well. We sometimes forget about everything that God has done for us. Where he has brought us from. Maybe we go through difficulties in life and pains and troubles and, and all kinds of things begin to happen. And we forget where it was, the depths that God brought us out of. The Bible says this. He says, though, and we know this is possible, folks. We live in the city. We hear stories all the time. Babies being dropped off on a doorstep. Remember being so, oh, just my heart wrenched. A few years ago, the young, young teenage girl giving birth in the bathroom at a high school prom, tossing her baby in the garbage. Can a mother forget? Well, we know that a mother can. It's possible. If the mother... Is, is, is selfish, is, is full of herself. And we know that it's possible for this kind of thing to happen. But God contrasts himself with the earthly once again. And he says, though she may forget, not every mother does, we know that. Most mothers don't. But if she does, I want you to know, Israel, I will not forget you. I will not. You see, a love that's committed refuses the distraction of forgetfulness. You cannot allow yourself to forget what God has done. God will never, ever forget you. He will never forget you. More than anything else in this world, we cannot allow ourselves to forget what the Lord has done for us and then forget why it was that He died on the cross. He died not only for your sins and my sins, but the sins of all mankind. That the people that we meet out on the street that we think nothing about, that somehow we begin to just sort of, you know, brush them aside. Maybe they're, you know, they're the cantankerous type. Maybe they're the type that just, you know, they're just plain old mean. And, and you don't want to encounter them. And yet, you know, they're there. They, they need the love of Christ. We forget that sometimes. We forget that, that no matter what position they are in life, they need to know the love of Jesus. A love that's committed refuses distraction. One final thing. A love that's committed shows dedication. 
Turn over in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of John, chapter 15. John, chapter 15, a love that's committed shows dedication. John, chapter 15, and verse 10. And this is where Jesus ties the obedience to his commands with loving him, but also... There is something, there is a word that he uses here that I want us just to take note of because it's so chock full of meaning. The Bible says this, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. He is, Jesus is our supreme example. He obeyed the Father's commands. And now as a result, he is telling us we need to obey his commands. And the Bible says we will remain in his love. That word remain literally means to live in, to dwell in, or abide. Also, it indicates and means to be in a state that begins and continues. In other words... You start with him and you don't stop with him. You keep on going. To abide in Christ or to remain in him is to follow his example of life and a life that was obedient to the will of God. So folks, brothers and sisters, when it all comes down to it, in the end, your being dedicated to him is not just a Sunday thing. It's when you wake up tomorrow, are you going to be dedicated to the Lord? Are you going to follow after him and say, Lord, I want to do your will. I want to follow after you so much that, Lord, I want to do your will and not my will. The Bible lets us know that we have to have that kind of a dedication and that kind of a commitment. If we will obey his commands, we will remain in his love. I don't know about you, I want to remain in his love. And many times we allow ourselves the indulgence of the flesh and then we come back with, you know, tears of repentance. Lord, you got to help me, you got to help me. You know what? God wants us to get past that and get to the point where we're just remaining in him. We're obeying his word. We're doing what the word tells us. We're doing what God wants us to do. And we're yielding to his will. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 5 and, and verse 3. This is love for God. You want to know how to love God? You want to know what you're supposed to do to love God? 1 John 5 and verse 3. This is love for God. To obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. You ever have your boss tell you to do something? And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I'm never going to finish this. This is way too much. You know, what God tells us to do is not burdensome. You see, God is not interested in loading you down. He's not interested in getting you to the point where you think you, you can't make it anymore, and you're just going to have to give up. The Bible lets us know here that his commands are not burdensome, and this is how we show love for God. There are so many people who say, well, I, know I love God, and then they don't do anything that he says. How is that even possible? 
Well, John says it's not. Just so you know. If you're going to love God with everything that is within you, then you're going to do what the Word tells you to do. You're going to do what God wants you to do. You're going to live for Him. You cannot say that you love God and then go and do your own thing. Well, you can say you love God, but John basically goes on in the epistle of 1 John says, you're a liar. Don't lie. Let's be truthful. Lord, I want to love you with everything that is within me, so Lord, let me obey your commands. 2 John chapter 6, or verse 6. There's only one chapter. 2 John verse 6. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk How? In love. 2 John 6. Let me read it again. And this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. Now here's another. You're going to use that word again, walk, in just a minute. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. What does it mean to walk in love? Literally this word means to live or conduct your life in that way. So, First, we're conducting our lives in this way. We are going to be in obedience to his command. We live in obedience to him. And then also, then we live in love. Say, I'm not so sure I do that. Well, it's time to say, Lord, help me. It's time to say, Lord, fill me anew and afresh with your love. Baptize us again with the love of Christ. Fill us again with the love of God that passes all understanding. I know the peace of God passes all understanding, but the love of God will do that as well. We need to say, Lord, fill us with your love once again so that we can walk in, we can live in, we can conduct our lives on a daily basis, not just in church when it's easy to fellowship. We haven't seen each other all week. And how are you, brother and sister? Good to see you. And we get so... You know, happy and we're talking and nobody's listening to Julian and because you're just happy to see each other and that was all right. It was fun. It was nice. But you know what? It's not about this moment. It's about an everyday moment. It's about tomorrow and the next day and the next day where it's more difficult when you're in the world doing life and living life. Are you walking in or living in love? You see, a love that's committed shows dedication, and those words indicate the idea of dedication. Remaining and walking, living in Him, walking in Him, living your life in such a way that says, Lord, I'm going to be obedient to Your will. Whether it's loving my brothers and sisters in Christ, or whether it's loving one another, loving the, my enemies, or loving my neighbor, or loving somebody else, that's around us. It's difficult to do, but the Lord would not tell us to do something that is impossible to do without His help. He would not tell us to do something that He would not equip us and empower us to be able to accomplish. So brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I want to love like no other. And I don't want it just to be, Lord, let it all just come to me from you. See, we've already seen in Scripture that that's that's what He's done. That he's loved us so much that that, that's what he has accomplished. But you see, he's called us to be 
His hand of love extended to the world. He has called us to live in such a way where we will give ourselves to loving those that are around us. Wherever you are, whatever it is that you're doing in life, God has called us to love. I wonder if we could stand to our feet right now and begin to pray right now. Lord, fill us once again. Fill us anew and afresh with your love.